This is the Douglas Robin Show. Hello, and welcome to Douglas Robin's Den of Discussion. Today we are speaking with Dr. Christopher Brown. He is the professor of early education, early childhood education at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, sir. How are you? Terrific, Doug. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, by the way. I really absolutely, absolutely. I'm very excited about this conversation because, as we said in, in the pre-show, this early education is really the crux, the, the beginning of the trajectory for any and all children and, and how they are viewing the world, how they are viewing themselves in it, and what th these initial expectations are. So I just want to start with, a, with an initial broad question. Sure. Uh, is who sets policy? I know there's a U.S. Department of Education, but I know it also happens on a more local level. So who sets policy and where and when are these policies often being developed? So most educational policy is set at the state level. And from there, it, it trickles down. Uh, and depending where you live, it might be a school district or it might be your county. And they take whatever the state is telling them to do and they reinterpret it to fit their needs within the context that they're living in. I live in Texas. Um, I'm not from Texas, but Texas education policy, as you know, in the past with No Child Left Behind has really influenced a lot of things that happen across this country. And so in, in our state, the state policymakers, um, what they decide as policy can really affect what takes place on a daily basis in kids' classrooms with their teachers, with school administrators. Um, and the big focus here in our state and in most states is typically on student academic achievement. And so that drives a lot of the conversation uh, that you see and what's happening, particularly even more so now in early childhood classrooms. Can you remind people what No Child Left Behind is? Because I, I remember sure. it was sort of a hollow program, if I recall correctly, but please yeah, uh, speak on that a little bit, yeah. if you will. Oh, I'm happy to. Um, so back in 2001, when No Child Left Behind went into account, what the focus became was ensuring children starting in grade three all the way through, you know, end of high school were achieving at a particularly high level in mathematics and uh, literacy or reading, whatever it may be, however it's framed within your state. And what, what was different about this is they wanted to put stakes behind it so people would be held accountable and states had to determine what they wanted to do. Um, but if kids were performing for at a low level for a long time, they tried to put in more options for parents to seek out tutors or to transfer schools. Um, in, in our state, what it does and what has happened is schools get ranked on how they perform on standardized testing. And if the school doesn't perform well for a long period of time, sanctions start to apply affecting both teachers and administrators and schools might be reconstituted because of that. Now the Every Child, Every Student Succeeds Act in 2015 kind of pulled back those high stakes, or at least they didn't mandate them as much and states could do whatever they want. Uh, Texas just kept going with what they're doing. <laughs> it's just the way things are. Um, but so essentially what you hear a lot in schools is how are kids achieving on particular tests, particularly tests that start happening around third grade. Um, in some states, there's a focus on literacy more than mathematics. Some states, it's both. It just depends on the context you're living in. But the point being, these tests start driving a lot of the conversations rather than the children in the classroom or the desires of families and teachers, which troubles me as an educator, because if you're going to 
as a learner to feel successful or to be successful, you want to be, you have to buy into it. And when we're only talking about achievement, we aren't talking about what my needs are as a learner in terms of the interest and where I need to go. So there's where the challenges come into play. Yeah. And, and you know, that's where all these, these standardized tests really took over the schooling. And obviously you can look up uh, the ratings or rankings of schools yes, and yes. make determination of where you're going to live or not live uh, accordingly. Um, and a lot of it, it's, for lack of a better word, an illusion. Yes. Um, you know, some schools that might be ranked a three, maybe they have, you know, they're maybe a farming community or not as well-educated or whatever it might be. Um, and there could be many wonderful opportunities at the school, but because of the ranking, it now has a kind of a, uh, a, a black eye, if you will. Yes, yes, very much so. And there's an organization called Phi Delta Kappa, uh, Phi, Cal Phi Delta Kappa, and they typically do a survey of public education every year. And, and for the most part, for the past 20 years, most parents, the majority are pretty happy with their local schools. Um, and so that's where there's this weird tension between producing particular outcomes and what's really happening within those communities. And so if, if I'm a teacher and I'm told I have to raise test scores, that's what my focus becomes rather than who the kids are in my classroom and the needs they bring within that. I'm just thinking about how do I get them to point X rather than having a, a classroom community where we're all building together and developing our learning and as well as becoming, seeing each other as a community that supports each other. It just, there's these contradicting messages that are happening and it's really tough on kids, teachers, parents, and administrators. Um, and it seems, you know, we live in a fairly small town in upstate New York near the Casca Mountains, fairly, you know, somewhat affluent town. And many people, you know, great school district. We're, we're very yeah. happy with it. But many people skip these standardized tests because they really don't add up to anything. I mean, what, what is it for other than for the state, in a sense, to pat themselves on the back, it seems? <laughs> well, I, 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 so there's a need for testing is a complicated issue because historically public education has done a disservice to a lot of different communities. And so having some measure and make sure that's not occurring is really important. Um, but it shouldn't be the only measure of what's taking place in classrooms. As you said, I think, you know, when I talk to families, when they say, what should I look for at school? Uh, one thing I always say, is it a place where kids seem happy? Do people want to be right. there? Um, There's the a kids... simple idea, right? A broad, yeah. <laughs> simple idea. Are they happy? Yeah. And do the kids, are they treated as learners, you know, or rather than, are they just simply seen as outputs? Um, and so does a kid feel like they can accomplish things in that school and come away from that day being excited about learning? Um, and, and I know it gets harder as kids get older. I have two in high school right now um, and the world, you know, it's, it, they ask them what they've learned today, nothing. And then that's not true. <laughs> yes, um, we, we get that same response, yes. <laughs> but nothing. it's, it's, I know they're learning stuff um, right. and I know they're doing well because I've seen my, I have a daughter in college now and I've seen how much she's grown and developed over the years. Um, yeah. and, and it's one of those things as a parent, because I know what to look for, I feel like they're doing fine. Um, but they still, the, the testing is, is challenging. Um, we held our daughter out of the science and uh, math test this past year in eighth grade because of COVID, they were allowed to, and she didn't want to go and there was no need to. She's performing at a high level. She has good grades. We're not worried about it. Yeah. I think it becomes an issue when you have a child who might be struggling or you feel like your child's needs aren't being met. Having that type of information is something you can use to have a conversation with the school community. What are we doing to serve my child in a better way? Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, so it's not easy, cut or dry. It's always messy. Um, we're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Um, and so it's just one of those situations. 
the more informed you are as a parent or a family member or a teacher or administrator, the easier it is to figure out where things need to take place to support kids so that they can be successful in school. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 70s and 80s uh, and yeah, schooling was very different than it is nowadays. And back then it was, you know, a very large school, more of just a production line, get the kids through. Not a lot of, say, individual attention. Sure. Um, and And so... But now things, but then at the same time, we had a lot of time to play unstructured time, um, to wonder, to create. And it seems the opposite has happened now with everyone and everything getting so competitive. We're creating children, we're, we're, you know, putting all these pressures and demands upon a five-year-old who, which is absurd to be putting any pressures on because they're just developing themselves at that point where are we failing as far as not enough unstructured (laughs) time and is it just a societal in a sense sickness that we're putting so much pressure on the kids to make to have them start worrying about college when they're in kindergarten of all of all things i think i think you're raising a really good point i think we do need to take a step back and recognize kids are smart and capable and that they can accomplish many things that we sometimes do not pay attention to because it's not on our radar at that moment. Um, The things you're talking about, having time for free play, outdoor space, hanging out with your buddies and friends, that's a really important part of our development as human beings. And it also helps us as individuals start to create our own identities, our own interests. And by engaging with other people, we start to see what we like and don't like. And I think with learning what's so important, you know, we have to make sure there's a lot of research showing for kids to learn, they have to be interested in the task at hand. They also have to believe they're gonna have the ability to accomplish what we're asking them to do and they have to do it in a supportive place. So when you're focused only on scheduling a child's life every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and not thinking about what the child wants or what the child's interested in, you're, you're pushing them away from things to help them see themselves as smart, capable people across the day. Right. And when kids, when kids latch into something, they, they'll, they'll pursue it, you know, till they know what they want to know. And I think that's something we have to recognize too, as adults, we got to give kids the space to figure out what it is they want to be and who they want to, what they want to accomplish. And if we don't give them that space, they're never going to, you know, latch onto something that's going to drive them forward. Um, and as you know, as your kids get older, they have more and more choice. So they need to be ready for that by knowing what it is they want to pursue. Uh, these are great points. And, and I would, and it seems we're creating bad habits. Yes. We're teaching them very bad habits. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Because now they're just trapped in, in sort of the, the pros and cons, the in, in textual, uh, intellect of I have to accomplish X, Y, Z. And it really removes that individual interest, joys, purpose, um, from the equation. Uh, and then I, I'd like to get back to one other thing. So, you know, we have the standardized tests uh, and regular testing, and that's fine. It's been around, you know, that style of test taking forever. But, you know, we've learned over the decades that there are many different types of intelligences. And often these intelligence, you know, creative and otherwise, it's sort of pushed aside um, for the kids who are essentially better at test taking. Yes. Do you have a question? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a conversation. So what, 
what I mean, what can we do to accommodate that a little bit more? Because like you were saying, well, it's easy to have, have now low self-esteem if you're not good at test taking, but you're super creative. Right. No, and I they think, don't jive. They don't me- mesh up. And, and I think that's where as a parent or as a family member, you have to have those conversations with your child's teacher about what type of kid they are, what type of learner they are, what, what's important to you as a parent. So going to your teacher, child's teacher and saying, hey, I don't care about the standardized test score so much. What I care about is I want my child to leave this classroom seeing him or herself as a learner. I want them to be happy. And I'm going to help them if they're not doing something that they need to be doing when they leave this grade level, I'm willing to work with you to help them get to that point. But can we do it in a way that taps into their interests and taps into their needs um, or into the class community? I think we are starting to recognize as a society the value of the arts much more so. I mean, if you look at, you know, a lot of the explosion in the economy is around media and so and providing entertainment and things of that nature. So I think we just have to, as a society, think about what are we asking our kids to do now and how is that gonna give them the opportunity to become the people they wanna become? And I think we have to also recognize we're as humans very fallible. We don't know what the future is gonna be like. So to assume that knowing X, Y, and Z right now is gonna ensure your child has a successful life is crazy. Um, and so we just have to really think about how can we give our child not only academic skills, but the social emotional skills. Um, as well as the physical skills to be able to engage with multiple people in many different ways and to see themselves as a confident learner so that when they're presented with a challenge or with something they have to learn that's new that may not fit what they've already done in the past, they feel like they can accomplish that. I think we just have to really rethink what learning means. Learning's not being able to recite poetry, which is a wonderful thing to do, but it's knowing that if I was given a poem and I was asked to recite it, I could see myself learning how to do that and be successful at it. Um, so it's not just memorization, but actually thinking about the process of learning, engaging in that in a way that's meaningful and self-motivated, and then producing something. It may not be exactly what we want to see, but it represents who you are as a learner, and that might create a new opportunity to foster a conversation that goes in a direction that we weren't anticipating, but it's still leading us somewhere forward within the process. Mm-hmm. You know, we want productive people, and productive people, <laughs> they might be driven in certain ways, but... You know, we want people who feel confident when they leave the school system. For sure. Uh, and, and this, you know, a lot of the school system, what I understand it to be, and maybe things are changing a bit now, is really just information-based. Like you said, regurgitation. Are you good at taking tests? Can you remember this? Do you have good uh, technique on learning? Um, and then spitting it back out on a test or, or a paper. Yeah. But, you know, often this isn't, helping the child navigate the world, navigate life. Uh, Because often there's a disconnection between what we're learning in school and what we actually need to know for living. Yes. And I wonder is, you know, and even as a child taking the time to get get to play and have, you know, uh, adventures and creativity, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, what are we teaching the child? Are are we creating bad habits in in the children? But again, is there a shift happening within policymakers from simply that information-based platform to a more, in a sense, holistic taking? Sure, information is part of it, of course. We need information, math, science, et cetera, uh, to understand our world around us. But we're not learning how to navigate the world 
through education. Um, is that something you feel like is changing? Uh, is be, you know, for instance, debt or stress or, or any of those type of things that is part of life no, that I we all that, live within. Yeah, I, I, there are small changes happening in different communities across the country. I think at a national level, I worry we missed an opportunity um, with the recent, well, the pandemic that's still going on. The conversations that you hear in, in policy communities are talking about, you know, learning loss and, and kids coming in not knowing things. And I think we're failing to recognize for the past year and a half, kids just like us as adults have had to manage an unprecedented time. And they've done so in a way where a lot of them have been extremely successful. Not all kids have been. Some kids need some real support because they've been put in situations that are unimaginable based on work, based on parents getting sick, based on death. Sure. Um, but my point being is kids are, we need to really rethink what school is. And I think you're getting at this point is we need to help kids prepare kids for life mm -hmm. and to be successful for life. You have to see yourself as being smart and capable. You have to see yourself as a learner, but you also have to see a connection between the academic content you're learning and how that plays out in our daily life and experience. I think that's one thing families can do with their children is help them start to see connections between these academic skills they're learning and what it means to play out in real life, be it what's happening in your home, being it's what's happening in your work. Um, but you also need to be an advocate for, I think you keep bringing something that's important is young kids need opportunities to explore and play. They need to experiment. They need to make sense of what the world's like and simply telling them what it's like is not enough. That's not how they're gonna internalize that information. They need to you know, do some research and development on their own as Alison Gopnik says. So they need to play, they need to engage with different people. They need to have opportunities to be outside. They need to be able to make a mess and not get in trouble for it. Um, you know, really good, I'm a big advocate for kindergarten. A really good kindergarten classroom is an environment that's basically controlled chaos. Um, yeah. where kids are having opportunities to be loud, quiet, you know, engage with others, working by themselves, but having a teacher who's facilitating an environment where the kids know where the resources are for to get the things they need so that they can be successful. But also that teacher has, you know, as Dewey talks about, they have a plan for what the year is going to look like so that they can help children grow and develop in the areas they need to so that they can be successful in school. Um, and, and, and coming back to our earlier part of the conversation, you know, this test is always looming there and we really need to think about why is that looming there? What can we do to move that conversation away and think more about how are we getting kids ready for the world that they need to inhabit in a way where they can feel successful and confident? And it takes time, it takes, it's, it's not easy to measure and it's not a simple test score. Um, and that sometimes is nerve wracking because we aren't sure what that's gonna look like. But if we are all engaged together, if we have competent people working with our children and we as families are invested in it, not just for our child, but for the whole classroom and the whole school, things change. You know, a, a school community that's thriving is a place where everybody's engaged and working together. Um, and, and for families who've had successful experiences with their kids in school, I think one thing they need to recognize, that, and sometimes I'm guilty of it, once your kids age out, you shouldn't age out of the system yourself. You need to be there advocating for kids and communities and making sure that they're, you know, the schools aren't losing track of all the wonderful things they've done, but we're there to support that. When they come to ask, either maybe they ask for a bond or things like that so that they can continue to provide kids with great learning opportunities. 
Um, I think we have to recognize, you know, these kids are going to be our future and they're going to help take care of us as we go, as we get old, but they're also going to be the leaders. And so we want to make sure that the things that we've accomplished in our life are continued once we leave. Um, so I think it's, you know, this, you know, schools are incubators for democracy and we need to recognize that and continue to support that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, here's a, a, a question. Um, sure. So uh, again, and perhaps I'm taking it in a direction that, that schools don't want to go. And that is, so you have an IQ, right? And that's, you know, intellectual quotient. Uh, and often people are rated at this or that, and I'm a genius or not a genius or whatever. I'm not talking about myself, but <laughs> um, certainly not a genius. Um, but then, you know, we have EQ, which is an emotional quotient. Sure. And that's kind of pushed by the side. Um, and yet it's the emotions that drive almost everything we do in this life. For sure. Um, and often what happens with a child who, let's say, comes from an abusive family, the child is now taken aside. Maybe there's a counselor at the school who addresses this, this child, if it even gets that far, if they become aware of the abuses taking place. But is there something at all for within education policy of sort of trying to address this in a more complete fashion, classes on it, okay, you know, instead of, you know, uh, pointing to one kid and say, oh, you have this problem, because obviously that child is going to take that with him or her and develop a personality based around that and possibly harm other people and or have struggles because of it. Is there a way of addressing an EQ within the school district or, or a school system? Well, there are school districts that are trying to prioritize what they call social emotional learning mm -hmm. um, and putting in curricula. For example, in I live in Austin, the school district here, the, the largest district, Austin Independent School District has a social emotional learning curriculum where teachers are being trained how to create classroom environments that are more supportive giving children the language to express their emotions, giving children right. the opportunity if they need to take a break, to take a break. Um, you know, we talk a lot about self-care now as well. And that's something I'm trying to do. I'm a professor at UT and I try to do that in my classrooms, letting my students know, if you need a break or if you need some type of support, let me know so that we can make sure that you're getting those things so that you can feel successful. Um, because we all have moments in our life where we're overwhelmed. And learning how to address that moment so that it doesn't put you in a depressed place or it distracts you from the goals you're trying to accomplish is a life skill that will carry you on forever. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think you're getting at some really important points is that we can't, we need to start thinking more broadly about what learning looks like and what learning should be expected to happen in schools. I'm not saying schools should be the solution for everything, sure. but they should be spaces where we learn to be human beings. Um, and we're so focused on, you know, uh, as a researcher, uh, Korflip, I can't say his name correctly, talks about we're so focused on human becomings, which is just such a mistake. Yeah. Um, and so we have to really think about how can we create a space. Yes, kids need to learn academics, but academics is just one component of being a learner, um, learning how to be a, a community member, learning how to take care of yourself, learning how to express yourself, learning, you know, to let others know what your needs are is really important. And for those kids that have had those traumatic experiences, um, giving them a space where they feel safe and secure, where they're going to have a consistent caregiver is really important. And where they have classmates that are going to be there to, you know, that they can lean on, support them. 
I think we have to get, you know, I understand why people are competitive and concerned. We live in that type of society. But we have to create spaces where we learn how to be community members. Um, and young children, the most amazing thing for me when I used to teach kindergarten is how compassionate they can be to their classmates, right. how they can pick them up and move them forward when they're having a bad day, how they yeah. can, you know, just give them a friendly gesture to let them know that this is a space where you're okay and we're going to take care of you as best we can. Um, even if a kid has a tantrum or gets upset, coming to them afterwards and saying, it's okay, we're going to, you know, let's let that move on and go forward. Um, yeah. And I think we also, one thing, just one more point to put in there, I think we also have to teach children that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, that's just the process. And if you don't get the test, it's no big deal. Um, you, you, you know, you did your best, you learned what you made your mistakes were and you move on. Um, you know, Peter Johnson, Carol Dweck, all those people talk about that grit component in the sense that you have to learn that, you know, failure is a part of life and learning how to fail forward is just, just so important. Um, yeah. And sometimes we don't give kids that space either within the process. I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> this, this is the way to foster. And these are the opportunities we have, obviously, at home and, and school. Those are the yeah places yeah as parents i mean i make mistakes all the time as a parent and so you know letting my kids know that i recognize that apologizing when i did something stupid or said something stupid yeah um and, and telling them i'm going to work to try not to do that again and you know that shows them that when they make a mistake it's okay you tell the person you care about if you hurt them you're sorry and yeah. what you're going to do to change that and and so it, it sounds fluffy sometimes, I think people think, but that's just, if we really want to get along and create a democratic community, we have to learn how to interact with each other. Um, and we have to support each other, which is something I don't think we always do. We make places so competitive it, it, that there's going to be either a winner or a loser, but that's not how life really is. It's a place where there's all sorts of things happening, where we're successful at some things, but other areas that we need a lot of growth in. And so we need to have people to help us grow where we need to grow. And then when we are successful, how are we supporting the people around us so that they can grow as well? Yeah. And quite often we're, you know, there are obviously countries and communities throughout the world that are, are more uh, community oriented or, or sure. um, concerned with each other. We, in America, you know, that kind of rough individualism, which I'm all for the individual, but at the same time, we are still part of a collective, so it's fine to do your yeah, best, but well, if you, you don't need any, to crush someone to do that. No, and I think if you read any autobiographies of you know really successful people, they didn't do it alone. Right. They, they, had, Never. they had a community Never. supporting them, and I think we need to part of we need to get rid of that myth of just the rugged individual. And it's a you know it's a, an individual that has a a, a a world of support behind them that's pushing them forward. Without a doubt. And so I think that's something as, you know, as you get older, you start to recognize that. And sometimes we need to help kids recognize that as well. Um, sharing examples of community leaders or, or people in our lives that we idolize and showing how that wasn't just them. They may be the person getting the accolades, but there was a, a community behind them that pushed them forward. And that as a parent, you want to be that for your child um, and help him or her be successful in the world as they go forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... So uh, speaking with Dr. Christopher Brown, um, he is also the author of several books, including more recently, Ready for Kindergarten, and uh, another one, uh, both came out this year, Resisting the Kinder Race, Restoring Kinder Joy. Race. What's Kinder that? Race. Resisting Kinder the Kinder Race. Race. Yeah. 
restoring joy to early love. Well, what is the, the kinder? I'm sorry. I thought it was, thought it was kinder. No, well, it's, it's actually kinder kinder for kindergarten. Um, so, ah, uh, yeah. I'm a little so, slow. I told you it wasn't a genius. <laughs> no, it's That totally, makes sense now. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so the two books, um, if you don't mind, I'll just talk real quickly. Of course, uh, of course. Ready for Kindergarten book. I wrote that for families. Um, and I wrote it, I've been working on that book for almost a decade, but I have a younger brother whose daughter was in kindergarten two years ago. And my life has always been around early child education. So I, I have a real good sense of how it works and what it looks like. And they had a rough kindergarten year, um, not because of their daughter, but because of the school environment they were in. Um, for example, the first parent-teacher conference they went to, essentially the teacher just told them everything that was wrong with their child and didn't tell them anything great about their child, which I, I was heartbreaking for me being a yeah. former kindergarten teacher. Sure. And so the book talks about this idea of what school readiness is, the first half and why it's a big deal and why people are focused on it. But the second half talks about how to be prepare yourself and your child for kindergarten um, so that you do have a successful year. Because I think kindergarten is an amazing time in children's lives as a teacher, as a parent, and for the children themselves. So that's what that book's on. The other book, um, Resisting the Kinder Race, which just came out as well, uh, that's a research more oriented book, but it's written for policymakers and teachers and school advocates. Um, I'm worried that kindergarten has simply become a place where kids race from skill to skill. And that quote comes actually from a, a teacher that I talked to in my study. And so we, we're trying to fight that kinder race idea and thinking about the argument I make in the book is that kindergarten should see, be seen as the place where that fosters the expansion of children's learning. Um, rather than simply racing them from skill to skill, how are we growing them as learners? And I give some, I talk about what that might look like in the book itself. Um, but both, as we were talking before the show, you know, these early years are important. It, I'm not saying if a child has a bad early years, they're never gonna recover from it. Please don't, please don't interpret that. But if we start with a good launch in school, it gets so much easier. Um, and kids are so much more excited. And, they, and when they have a setback, they, they've got the knowledge and skills how to move past that. So if you have a great foundation, it's easier to address a challenge as it comes up. Um, and you also have something to lean back on to give you insight of how to move forward when you're presented with something that you wanna do, but you're not sure how to accomplish it. So, so that's what these are books are around. It's just this idea of rethinking what kindergarten should be. And as a parent or a family member, getting you ready for that so that you can advocate for your child and have a great year in kindergarten, um, which I think every child should have. Well, I'm only half joking when I say, I think kindergarten was my high watermark in education. <laughs> um, it was probably the most fun I had. And then quickly I went downhill from there, but um, oh, I hope you, I hope you had some fun moments somewhere along your academic career. <laughs> here, here and there, um, but you know, playing with blocks, it was, you know, it was a good time. Um, well, yeah, I, I think you were experimenting, you were making sense of the world. I think we should be doing that in every grade level. You know, my kids, when they come home and they talk excited about school, it's when they engage in some type of project where they had some choice, where they had some voice, and they were pursuing something they were interested in. And I think we need to have more of those opportunities I try to provide that in my own classrooms at teaching in college level or graduate school level, um, but that should be happening every year children are in school or, or young adults. Um, and I think, you know, we really as a society uh, globally, we need to rethink that. Um, and how are we providing those opportunities for kids? Because if we want kids to, you know, see themselves as competent learners, we have to give them opportunities to pursue their interests as well as to give them a, a place where they feel like they're valued and engaged within that process. Yeah. Yeah, and possibly taking out of just sort of a rote kind of monotonous yeah. 
approach, yeah. um, you know, because that, that's not dimensional. No, it's not. It's, it's easy to manage. It's easy to yeah. plan for, but it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, it, it has been uh, so nice speaking with you today. It's been terrific. I really appreciate this conversation and thank you for having me on, Doug. It, it means a lot. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, you know, I, I really was getting excited to speak with you because it's like, this is the crux of everything where everything begins is this early childhood development. And it really is. And, and I think it's a conversation, even as your kids age out, as I said before, that you should be a part of and engaged in if you want to foster a larger positive community for all. Yeah. Uh, I know we all have our own stresses and our own needs, but I think if we're going to change the world or change our communities or change even our neighborhood, um, we have to be engaged at all levels. And, and that includes young children. Right. And obviously people are all coming together with different backgrounds, different stories, of course. Uh, and different experiences. So we want to give all the best opportunity to flourish. Right. And there's, and, and as you know, there's no one right way. Um, we all have different needs and hopes and desires and we need to be okay with that yeah uh, but we need to do it in a place where we all feel safe and secure um, so that we can accomplish the goals we're trying to accomplish yeah well chris again it has been great speak with you today we we're speaking with dr christopher brown professor of uh at the university of texas uh, at austin and you can find his books resisting the kinder race and ready for <laughs> kindergarten on amazon uh, and uh, there are other books there also and you can check him out at his uh, website, ChristopherPBrown.com. Sir, it's been a pleasure and you have a great day. Yeah, thank you, Doug. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to The Douglas Robbins Show. To find out more about Douglas and his books, check out DouglasRobbinsAuthor.com.